So welcome back to an episode of Money Beyond Borders, where we explore the hidden and the not so hidden costs of navigating the waters of personal finance. Today, we wanted to begin our foray into the cost of healthcare and what better place to start than at the beginning, at birth. I have here today to help us navigate in-hospital births and out-hospital birth journey, Marion with the Birth Center of Boulder. And she's the founder and owner and office director, and Sophie, one of her midwives on staff. What brought them into the out-of-hospital birth experience? Thanks, Nick. I really appreciate you taking the time out and educating people on birth center care because it's a little bit out of the mainstream. So anything we can do to educate people on their process is always appreciated. We started the Birth Center of Boulder coming on seven years ago. It was a group of women who worked in maternity care at Boulder Community Hospital. And we just kept hearing the question over and over, why don't we have a freestanding birth center in Boulder? That was the start of the question. And the answer was the Birth Center of Boulder. Took a lot of man hours, I think, back on those days. A lot of passion, incredibly focused on putting the mom in the middle and giving her as many tools as she could to make decisions about her maternity care. Here we are seven years later, 650 births later, just really loving that the center is here, that people support it, that we get to do what we do here. Sophie, what about yourself? Did you meet Marion on a Tabishan hike or? <laughs> yeah, I wish. A lot of this job is if you can break into the birth community, it's a pretty small community. So I actually knew about three midwives who were working there. They brought me on. So we've had a solid birth team at this birth center, at another birth center. So we're a tight unit. That's across birth centers. Exactly. Wow. For the most part in Colorado, the midwife community, whether it be hospital or out of hospital, is pretty small. We have a little symposium that we have every year a specific chapter of the National College of Nurse Midwives, the Colorado chapter that we all gather at. For the most part, everyone kind of mixes around in that little community and will bring each other on for our adventures. For me, my wife, 20 weeks pregnant now, wanted something where she felt more part of the process as opposed to something being done to her. Being pregnant is not a disease. That's how she wanted to feel. We did a little research and came across the birth center boulder out here. And that's what really got us interested. And we started uncovering that there's a lot less that we knew about it. What's affordable? What is an accessible way of giving birth? And we didn't know the range okay, you go to a hospital, you got a gynecologist who's following you, ultrasounds, pap smears, the health of the pregnancy. And then the birth is this very painful, very traumatic, let's get it over with experience. And you hope that you live through it and you don't have to do C-section, but that's on the menu. That's a possible option. So when Solen and I discovered this, it was something we really embraced. It felt very much more us, what we wanted out of a birth experience, what she wanted. She's doing the laboring. I'm just the cheerleader. Then we started really quickly getting to the cost because cost is a huge factor in deciding what we do as a family. We heard a whole bunch of different things and we were doing research on the costs of giving birth from prenatal to postpartum and everything in between, including delivery. This is something I wanted to kind of put back on you. And I guess, Marion, since you're kind of very heavy in the billing, what are the typical costs that families should or need to plan for? Self-pay, versus insurance. We have like a spreadsheet we put together, but it wasn't something that was intuitive or something that I knew about until we did a lot of digging. From your perspective, Marion, who's seen 650 births, what are the costs here that a family should prepare for moms and dads? Of course, insurance is 
about as muddy as it possibly can be. And that's all on purpose. Non-transparency is a easy place when there's a lot of chaos and a lot of misunderstanding. It's easier to have the upper hand or something like that. I'm not sure what I'm trying to say with that. There's a lot of components to it. And I, as a business owner, have a contract with individual insurance companies and then clients have their individual contract with their insurance company. And those two contracts are very different. My contract stipulates how much I can get paid for quote unquote, an allowable rate for a certain, what's called a CPT code. And that's a procedure code that is supposed to be a language that's spoken across the world so that we understand what we're billing for. The confusion, of course, is, is that birth centers in the United States aren't common, and a lot of those contracts were written for hospitals. And so there's something called a facility fee, and there's something that's called a professional fee. Because we are out of hospital birth, we have a very different rate when it comes to both of those things. Certified nurse midwives historically have not gotten equal pay to physicians for the same work, which is a whole nother topic. The hospital, they have a very different facility than we do, so I can kind of understand their argument, but the unfortunate thing is, is that they are not reimbursing us at a rate that makes running a birth center easy by any stretch. As far as like the typical costs for the birth center of Boulder, the cash pay fee is $7,000, and that does not include ultrasounds, medications, or something called a non-stress test, because that's not a normal care plan. So anything that steps outside of a normal care plan, we end up charging for. Who defines what normal care is? <laughs> Good question. Good question. <laughs> if we can code it, then it's normal care, right? So normal care uh -huh. is basically anything that pertains to the pregnancy. For some reason, labs and ultrasounds are outside of that because those are diagnostic. Medications that are normal, like vitamin K and erythromycin, those types of things get bundled into the maternity care. Things that are outside of that were like if you were had a urinary tract infection during your pregnancy or your thyroid misbehaved or something like that, that you might need different type of care, that would not be bundled in the pregnancy care package. Our expectations, family, was ultrasounds are routine to see how the baby's doing. And that was something we had a little mishap with our insurance in terms of what is prenatal coverage? Because it was stated, it was 100% coverage, summary benefits, all that. But apparently that's not the contractual agreement. I don't wanna spend too much time discussing how the legalese of insurance contracts can be pretty hard to navigate. But <laughs> I called insurance after we went with you guys and we're like, oh, it runs through the normal deductible. And I'm like, no, it's 100% covered. Deductible waived, copay waived. So I'm like, that's great. That's why we had that plan. You know, it's been a year in the making and I had discussed with insurance this. So this wasn't news to them, but it was news to me when they said, oh yeah, we changed our policy. And I'm like, where's this written? It's like, well, it's our confidential agreement with your employer. So I'm like, that's great. I pay the premiums. I need the service. My family needs the care, but we're going to end up paying way more than we thought just for these ultrasounds and these other services that are not deemed essential care for prenatal. Funny for an insurance company to say, you know, I'd like to hear those that are in the field actually doing the work say, this is necessary, this is not. Because that's what insurance is for, right? Is to protect us, insure us against the high costs of this system. 
insurance companies, they're a dinosaur at the end of their time here. It's not working. And we all know a hundred reasons why it's not working. And especially when you're approaching it from a maternity care type position. I had babies in the 80s and I will tell you, I paid $250. I never once thought about what lab my blood was going to, what ultrasound I was having. I never asked a question about my care. I paid my $250 and that was my contractual obligation to my insurance company and everything else. I didn't even have to put one iota of energy into. So I have tremendous respect for this generation that has to ask every single question, like how much is this lab going to cost? How much is this ultrasound going to cost? How, you know, every little thing. And it is not transparent. And we have had clients as simply as they thought that their insurance was in network here. And once we sent bills out, found out that their insurance had a caveat on there that they would not pay for freestanding birth centers. So we've learned from all of those mistakes that we've made and we know specifically what questions to ask. So non-transparency is the name of the game and we work really hard at the birth center to make it transparent. It's hard to be transparent (laughs) with insurance. So you can say, hey, I'm not quite sure. This is our contract with whoever the insurance provider is, but you are not entirely sure. At the end of the day, things can change. This is the patient responsibility or depending on your copay amount. It is so all over the place that it's hard for you to be transparent on that front with insurance. Like You can't tell us, hey, $7,000 $7,000 out of your pocket. Why can you say that with confidence? Because it's self-pay. You know the cost. That's where it's at. If there's nothing out of the ordinary, we can put a dollar figure on the cost. And to be honest, 7000 is a lot more than two fifty in the 80s. But right. 7000 I can plan for. Plus or minus a grand or two. That's fine. Hey, 10 grand, have a baby. We are ready. Let's go. You know, we can plan financially. That's something that we can work with. When you got a moving target, where like, well, it could be anywhere from 2,000 to 20 or 200, depending on the complications. And then if you know the mother needs to have open heart surgery at delivery, or I'm like, I didn't even consider that insurance. So why is that coming into the equation? It's so hard. Mm-hmm. Budget, and you know, I'm I'm pretty good with math. You can throw a dart in the dark, and you have a better chance of hitting a bullseye than figure out how much it's going to cost to give birth with insurance. And it seems like that's both in a hospital and out of hospital across the board. If you can do self-pay for a birth at a out of hospital center, you can get these fixed prices. We had Tessa who provided a breakdown, the receptionist up front. She was very helpful with providing us a breakdown. I got emotional because how many hours I've had to spend on the phone with insurance and with hospital administrators to try to figure out what is this general service that costs me more than a car? Mm-hmm. And you break that down a little bit. It's one light item. It's $10,000. A car salesman does a little more selling than you are sending me a bill. And I found it was a double bill. Anyways, that was a concrete example recently where they actually charged me twice and oh. they wrapped it into one item. And I kept asking, I didn't pay. And they said, oh, we charged you twice. There was, we charged you for two ultrasounds. And I was like, right. one baby, one fetus, one day, one doctor, what's going on here? And so when I got that breakdown from Tessa of every service that you guys have, I want you guys to stay solvent. That type of transparency, this is the future. I mean, this is the present. It needs to be the present. Well, one one thing I can clarify 
is yeah. we can be incredibly transparent about our contracts with your insurance company. I've spent countless hours reading legal documents. I'm, I'm very clear on my contract with your insurance company. I am not clear on your contract with your insurance company. And that's usually where the surprises come in. I don't know what the answer to that is, whether if you have an HR person that you can go to and they can kind of break it down in layman's terms or they've done the hours of research. And I'm gonna be honest, a lot of these contracts are laughable that these um, insurance companies use because they're 20 years old and they've just written writers left and right on them. And like I always tell people, they think they can pull one over on the insurance company and I say, you will never pull anything over on the insurance company. They will always get their money. They have a room full of actuarials doing all their risk analysis and they are smart people and they will get their money, whether it's through deductibles, premiums, you know, out of pocket, they will get their dollars and they will stay solid. And I will say that I've been working in this field for, I don't know, 30 years. And I will say that it's never clear. Insurance companies are not clear to me. And, and I work hard at it, to be clear. We're definitely hitting a wall with insurance. And I think it's reassuring to hear this because I, I spoke with the hospital too to try to get a little bit of transparency and they can't give me answers, you know. And when we talk about this and we're open about it, it helps me understand the cost of healthcare is one thing. The unknown of the cost is what really I think gets people. Let's say the birth was 10,000, okay? And that includes, you know, we throw in a few a happy meal or whatever. We get, we round it up to 10. That's it. You can't go over that. You pay that, you're good. It's something you can plan for. But having insurance, saving and trying to pay those premiums and trying to buffer that, oh, have I met my deductible? Oh, on a, on a Tuesday in front of an IHOP, we don't cover this blood pressure, whatever the heck it is. And then finding out, wait, I got a bill that I have to sell my house for. We can agree that's a broken system. So I don't think we need to go further on that. We pay premiums, we pay insurance. And arguably the reason why we do is in case something really bad happens, right? right? I get hit by a bus. Okay, great. It'd be nice to have insurance to pay for what that's going to cost to get dad back into shape. There's these catastrophic situations that we justify paying the premiums when in fact, that's all we need is that catastrophic situation. The rest of it, we got it. If I was a self-pay patient, 7,000, I can plan for that. Obviously, everything outside of giving birth and if there's some complications, how often does a low-risk birth escalate to, oh my gosh, we're in the hospital, something crazy happened. There's a financial aspect of escalation as well as the health. And so maybe we start with the risk. Do we have numbers? Is it like one in two births escalate from low risk to high risk? Understand that. And then we'll start getting into the financial and health consequence of those escalations. Every birth, no matter how low risk it is, it's a matter of probability and statistics. So even if 98% of the time people in that given situation will have a healthy birth, there's still that 2% chance that things can go awry. So no birth is totally without risk. But to kind of err on the side of like, oh, I'm probably going to end up needing a C-section. Those are the biggest guns we have in terms of an intervention. And that's not necessarily the case. Most births happen, we call them physiologic births. The majority of births go off without a hitch. So planning your healthcare around the highest risk model doesn't necessarily make sense. What Marion kind of brought up was initially like starting at a lower level of acuity 
makes a lot of sense. So you can make room in case there are red flags that come up where transferring to a higher level acuity care can make sense for you. But starting there, that opens the door for maybe more interventions, more expenses, and sometimes worse health outcomes, although not always. In terms of numbers, I would say at least, let's see, when I was in school, uh, the U.S. had about a, I want to say like a 25% C-section rate, which was high, but coming down. Other countries are a lot higher. Other countries are a lot lower. But we are starting to kind of wake up to the idea that, oh, maybe we shouldn't be planning C-sections, scheduling them, making them. Designer uh, birth. Yeah, designer birth. Like, oh, well, I'd love to have it before our relatives can get in town for the holidays. That used to be more like a given path. And now collectively, whether it be docs, midwives, we're all kind of saying, eh, let's not do that as much because there are risks. It's a major surgery. It is not a delicate operation. The recovery time is really high. Anytime you, know, you go under the knife, there's a risk of infection. We're trying to all collectively steer away from using that as like a, you know, get out of jail free card, unless things are really not good. And those instances are fairly rare. Crash emergency C-sections usually happen if a baby isn't compensating very well. And usually with monitoring, you can tell if that's about to happen. It's rare if it's out of the blue. That does happen, but generally there's some warning. You know, at birth centers, we're looking for those red flags well before they happen so that if someone needed to go to a hospital, just in case, we get them there. That's a great segue. If you go to a hospital versus an out-of-hospital birth journey, there's an escalation procedure in place. It's kind of the protocol C-section is much closer to reality than if you do a out-of-hospital birth where that is kind of the last resort. C-section is not like the third or fourth item from the top. It's way at the bottom. It's let's try different breathing techniques. Let's move around. Let's, you know, sing. Let's, you know, let's do what we have to do to help mama instead of epidural, Pitocin cycle up until, hey, finally we're at transition and we can get the uh, forceps. Yeah, I think- C-section. A lot of the birth centers, at least, or uh, hospitals around Denver, around Boulder, they actually do a pretty good job of kind of doing a laissez-faire, like, let's see how you labor. Let's see how things are before we introduce some of those more invasive procedures. That said, though, you know, they do have different protocols. So we do something at the birth center called intermittent auscultation, which means we're going to listen to baby every now and then. In the hospital, it's more continuous monitoring. So that means... If there's any blip, hiccup, things like that, they're going to pick up on it. And then they have to act on it based on procedure and and protocol. If baby has, say, a little deceleration, it's one, then they might impose like more interventions. More interventions, there's a cascade effect that can kind of happen. So that interventions lead to interventions. And then sometimes that can increase your risk of C-section. At the birth center, checking in with baby less frequently or less continuously, we get a better bird's eye view of what's going on versus having to be reactive to little tiny blips here and there. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, overall we can kind of sit and wait and see how things are. Uh, and usually if there are some risky things happening, they will present themselves. The threshold of going from, hey, things are going fine to, oh, let's start escalating that process and accelerate 
the birth, it's a lower threshold within the hospital because you have the equipment and you've got this constant monitoring versus out of hospital, there can be fluctuations, but there's more tolerance. And it's normal that babe moves and that you know blood pressure kind of fluctuates within ranges and there's no reason to react as quickly. I would say that we, we do some more intense monitoring maybe prenatally, antenatally, like before birth. Usually in birth, we keep a limited toolkit in the birth center so that if something is like, oh, we might need different tools for this, then we go to the hospital. So it's certainly, you know, I think we'll err on the side of maybe with time things can work out. But if we're seeing things that are risky across the board, we all have like a pretty hard line on certain things that we don't budge on. And we say, we need to go to the hospital. Those things that we don't budge on are um, policies that we have in place. And we have a license through the state of Colorado that's very clear on what we can and can't do here at the birth center. And all the midwives follow our protocol that work here. And so there's a lot of things that are very clear when we can't actually take care of clients here. Is there a collaboration with hospitals so that it sounds like you guys have a fairly good relation with BCH? We do. Those contracts that are stipulated just also by the state, they spill over well into an escalation process. So when we get to the hospital, if there's an escalation, the hospital is like, okay, great. You fit in right at this level of our protocol. We wouldn't have done anything that different, you know, at the beginning. We got it from here. It's a seamless handoff. Correct. Um, it's a collaborative experience that's always behind, ready to go. Ideally, have a physiological birth where you want it. But if you have to transition, it's seamless. Angela and I both worked at Boulder Community Hospital for years. And we put a lot of energy into personal relationships with folks over there and professional relationships. And I think it's very important that we work together well. I think it's important for the clients. I think it's important for community cohesiveness. I think it's just, it's important that we're all just maternity care providers. And like you just said, it becomes very seamless when we need to transfer. Plus the cost can be reduced because now we're not, oh crap, the handoff. We need a whole system in place to be able to handle different babies in different conditions. No, we got a a standard that we all abide by for the health of the mother and the babe and all on the same page, no matter where we have to go. And we spoke about the financial aspect for the families. Birth Center of Boulder, that's the price, 7K, you get through, that's normal. There's no ultrasounds, but you have a ballpark of what the costs are going to be if you have a fully physiological birth. And then obviously, if you get to the hospital, that's kind of out of your hands. So it's like, okay, how does insurance play? And what's the mama's contract with the insurance company and how that will ultimately turn out? But you did mention the transfers that happen. Mama is in labor, she's at the birth center, and then we're like at hour 10 or something. There's some escalation event, and then we transfer. You lose money there. If you had enough transfers of that kind where the birth starts at birth center, standalone, and then migrates over to the hospital, you would be out of business. Expound a little bit on why is that the case? Why, are you, why is there not enough compensation from insurance? If the birth doesn't happen at the birth center, where's that confusion? Can we get a little bit light on that? Why does that hurt the birth center? 
Sophie's going to plug her ears because none of our providers <clears throat> provide care for our clients um, according to how much money we're going to get. So that, that's not a, that's, that I'm very careful about. None of our midwives know how much money we get for any certain thing. So right. I want them to always make clear medical decisions. You are correct. When we transfer a client, we get about a quarter of what we would get no matter how many hours she's been here, if the babe would have come out here. So if a mom comes in and labors for two hours and has a baby, we get four times the money if a mom walks in here and labors for 26 hours and transfers to the hospital. The highest risk usually is when baby actually emerges. That's where there's the most compression and things, things happen usually around that time. So yeah. it's not surprising that that's kind of the money maker is, you know. Wow once the baby arrives. It's binary. Oh, baby was born here. Okay. Attribute cost there. Oh, I spent 30 hours and we were in active labor, but then transition happened at the hospital. It took 10 minutes, but that's where it happened. So that seems like a huge failure point from an insurance perspective. From an insurance so, perspective, anyone can kind of labor at home if they wanted. That's kind of where that difference is. You know, we're, we're affording people a lot of like labor sitting and assistance with it, but it's not necessarily medically crucial. Because I can't get that same price transparency you guys have at the birth center. I don't have that at the hospital. They, they say it depends on insurance. It depends on what procedures. Are. The fact that you guys can be so transparent, that to me, just from a cost perspective, is phenomenal. And for Selene, she wants to feel empowered. I want her to feel powerful. She's giving birth. I mean, it's a miracle. This is where it all begins. And so empowering the family to introduce a new member of society right at home in a home-like environment, right? The standalone birth center, empowering mothers and empowering their partners to support them through the birthing process is what we're after. Educating people on the financial costs as well as the health costs, the physiological implications of giving birth in hospital, out of hospital, at least educating people to, to decide how they want to experience that birth. That's the goal of this episode. And so what can people do today to get more educated on the out-of-hospital route and prepare for the cost. What can mamas and daddies do if they want to learn more? There's so much Googling you can do in a day to understand the ecosystem. The biggest thing that you can do is figure out what birth experience you want. Is creating ritual around it, making it sort of a heightened experience, having you know spiritualism involved, all kinds of things. If that's really important to you, then know that something like mega organization like a hospital might not be super flexible with that. Birth Center already kind of has sort of that emphasis of making birth really special. That's a big priority. Thinking about like, do I want to just be, you know, is it just results? Like, do I want a healthy mom, healthy baby? Call it good. I don't care the packaging. That hospitals are fine. Birth centers would be fine for that. But if you're having some like meaning sort of baked into the cake, then birth centers are really great for that because it's really about keeping people comfortable and then that empowerment piece. I'd also say a great resource is Evidence-Based Birth. It's a website where they basically comb over all kinds of studies about really common interventions and treatments in birth and pregnancy. And you can kind of say like, oh yeah, there's strong evidence for having this procedure done. I will do it versus eh, the evidence is kind of weak. I could probably say no to that. That's a great website that I recommend to a lot of people, evidence-based birth. At the birth center, we can't discount the fact on the day of the event during labor on the same page saying, this is how I want it to go. It's not about protocol. It's about 
how is mama feeling? Mama and babe, how are they doing? It's really collaborative. It's a, always a discussion. And the cost, it sounds like, is about comparable. If all things else are equal for cost of delivering, why not at a hospital where you can be more in control of the outcome? Marion, you were at the Boulder Community Hospital with Angela. What made you do a standalone birth? And had you known about these discrepancies between, hey, birth centers are not treated fairly like they are with the BCH and this financial impact, what do you think we can do about it to keep the birth center going? Why is because I feel very strongly about taking trauma out of birth. I don't think there has to be trauma in birth. And I feel like if everyone is collaborative, everyone's making choices for themselves, everyone is actually creating a solution together, there's very rarely trauma. So we all know how it feels, the difference between having someone do something to you versus having a dialogue, creating a solution and being part of that. And so I just don't think that we need trauma in birth. And I've heard more birth trauma stories than I care to hold in my memory right now. But I feel like the birth center is definitely a place where women can come and take some of the trauma out of birth. The other thing I think I feel very strongly about, which was kind of a side effect that I didn't expect, you kind of touched on it. When a partner is in the hospital, they're basically gatekeepers. They're describing their partner to an ever-revolving staff. So you're constantly she doesn't like it hot. She wants the lights off. She, you know, so you're constantly gatekeeping. And I think at the birth center, the one thing I've noticed with partners is that they are part of the birthing process. And what that allows for is families to leave here quite intact. And it's actually quite profound and surprising that when the partners get to be involved in the birthing process, not be the gatekeepers, they have a tendency to bond and be a part of that kind of magical moment in the moment, right? They're in the process. And so they leave here very intact as a family. And like I said, I find that quite profound. So those two things are very high on my list of reasons for a birth center. And then the second part of your question was... What is the struggle you've seen, you've been experiencing? Because I'm, I'm sure it's not unique to birth center or Boulder, unfair treatment between hospital right. birth and out-of-hospital birth? Equal pay for equal work. CNMs do the same work obstetricians do in the hospital, and they should have the same pay. And for whatever reason, we don't pay midwives the same as we do physicians. So that's the start of it. And then the second piece of that is the facility piece. And I really strongly feel like that's an education process. And trying to educate the general public and contract writers on what we actually do here. I've had a contract with one of my insurers for five years, and I just was having a very light conversation with her the other day about something. And she shared with me that she thought that we just labored with moms here and then brought them to the hospital to deliver. She had no idea that we wow. actually, babes actually came out at the birth center. So, which I was like, oh, I have done you a disservice, you know? So I try to put a lot of energy into educating contract writers. And a lot of them feel like we're home birth midwives that are trying to con the system out of a facility contract when in reality we actually need that facility contract to keep going and 
you're right, we get about a quarter of what the hospital does and it does make finances that much more difficult. Educating those listening, I definitely appreciate you know the efforts that you both have done here on this podcast and what you continue to do with insurance providers and the community at large. The numbers speak for itself. Births are pretty smooth. They can happen physiologically at home. Why not out of hospital? This discussion in depth on the costs, both financial and emotional, the listeners can be empowered for their own family and have the birthing experience that they are entitled to have. Mm-hmm.